Hi everybody, my name is Marco Landon. Hi everyone, my name is Cameron Lobas. And welcome to this episode of Teacher Talks. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about the most foundational things, why teaching, how we got started in this, who were the teachers that influenced us, and also what is our why? Why do we continue doing this when we understand that teaching is a very complicated and a very difficult task? So Cam, how about you start us off a little bit? Can you just tell us a little bit about your story, about why you went to teaching, or just why you chose this over anything else? Yeah, for me, there hasn't ever been a time where I did not want to be a teacher. And I know as cliche as it sounds, I would I would come home after school every day and go into teacher mode. Like I would say papers from the year before, I would bring my siblings in to play to school with me. Um, if I were playing with Legos, I would naturally always build a school. I don't know what it was about just me wanting to be a teacher. I just know it was the only thing I had to do and the only thing I was probably ever going to do. Um, and I think specifically because I had really good teachers around me, despite the circumstances that our schools weren't maybe the always the best funded or in the best neighborhoods, I've always had really great, skillful teachers who's always looked out for me, who always had a relationship with my mom. So I just naturally always want to be a teacher. Uh, weirdly enough, like... A female teacher. I don't know what it was. Mm. I always had really good female teachers. And so like I would always play myself as like a female teacher. I don't know. I never had a lot of male teachers. And maybe that's what made me gay or not. I'm not sure. But <laughs> um, just being around really strong female teachers of color definitely was like my gateway. It's like, okay, that's what I want to do. And there's something else. And there's something else I can do outside of that realm. But just teach. What I want to teach later on would come later for me. But I just know I had to be in the classroom. Mm. How about you, Marco? That makes sense. I want to say mine is a little bit similar as well um, in that I had a lot of very powerful female teachers that showed me that teaching is something that's very personal and also very political at the same time. They showed me that teaching isn't just about the content you teach, but really how you foster these relationships with young people, how you basically become like a second parent or maybe sometimes a first parent for some of these kids. I know for me, like growing up, I didn't really have the most stable home life. I didn't really love being at home, but a place that I did feel safe at was maybe school. I had teachers and maybe people who were adult there that really showed me that this can be a real safe place and also can be a place where you can be fully yourself that maybe you couldn't be when you were at home. I think also when I think about it, I also saw that being a teacher was something that didn't necessarily garner so much respect per se in this larger society, but when you do have the eyes of young people and when you do have the community looking at you in a way that's saying, thank you for being there for my child or thank you for being there for me, it kind of shows me that, no, this is kind of something that is important. This is something that, you know, maybe you don't get paid the most or maybe you don't get the most respect in America, but the kind of lives that you touch throughout the years kind of shows you that, well, what you're doing is beyond just a paycheck. And although, you know, a paycheck does matter, it may not be also every single little thing because it can't buy you every little thing that you might want. And I think that makes me think about like, why being a teacher over anything else? I think when I was younger, before I wanted to be a teacher, I wanted to maybe be a lawyer. I wanted to be a scientist. I also wanted to be an FBI agent for a while back as well. And those were all of those things that I thought were super cool, that had a lot of high stress environments that were just really fun and always had something different. And I never really saw teachers that way until I actually went into the starting studying what being a teacher meant, practicing by doing student teaching. I saw that being a teacher, you're kind of on the front lines every single day. To be honest, I mean, if you're 
being a teacher where we teach, or just I'm sure any place that serves children, you know that being a teacher is really being on the front lines every day. You're met with students who have problems at home that bring it to the classroom. You have students who definitely overshare, and then you think, should I report that? And then you also have students who are so open to you and call you dad sometimes by accident. And then when you think about it, it's like, wow, I can't believe you saw me that way. And even though it might be a little accident, right? You think like, this child sees me as someone who can protect them and teach them and guide them. And I think that makes me wonder, for you, Cam, when did you start thinking about when you be wanted to become a teacher? I know you mentioned a little bit about how you've always kind of had that mind, but was there a click or a story or someone that kind of got you to that point? Well, I feel like if you ask anybody who like knows like Cameron Kalen Lopez like knows him, there has never been a time where I did not want to. I can see myself. I remember in high school where we weren't asked what we wanted to be, but they were like saying like, "What did you want to go study?" And I'm like, "Well, something to get me to be a teacher." Mm-hmm. Like it was just be a teacher, be a teacher, be a teacher. And I think it's so weird, but I want to say Matilda, that movie. I don't know something about Miss Honey, her being like the first teacher. I remember like on a on a screen, right? Like outside, like I used to play it obviously at home, and I would play it obviously in real life when I went home. But I think seeing her in the classroom was like, oh, I don't, I, I want, I want to be Miss Honey. I can definitely be Miss Honey, mm-hmm. and I think I have the personality that is very similar to Miss. I have a little bit more like jumping your butt kind of teacher than I am to Miss Honey. Right. But I think just, again, like you said, the front line of it all, like you're able to change the lives of so many kids in like so little bit of time. Right. And just make that impact. And I think I'd be obviously I would not want to adopt a kid like how Miss Honey <laughs> did at the end of that movie. But yeah, something about, she told me that the first one I remember just wanting me to inspire me to be a teacher, but also teacher specifically. Mm. I would say anything, any teacher I had in high school, whether it be English, math, science, all the subjects, I just felt a strong connection to all of them. And I obviously didn't get along with them every single day, but just seeing how they organized and how they taken my, my mind from point A all the way to point B at the end of the semester or at the end of a unit or at the end of a lesson has really made me think like, wow, I want to do that too. You know, it's pretty funny that you mentioned Matilda because now that I think about it, I think that was one of the movies that made it click in my mind that, you know, being a teacher is really dynamic. You had this one child who was being neglected and arguably abused at their home. This young girl who had these exceptional strengths and, you know, it was made up, right? It was fictional that she could be telepathic or whatever. But really, that's kind of what children see them. I see what children as. Like, they are these young beings who have the strength to muster, the courage to be able to do anything. And sometimes... And they couldn't see their skills because Matilda couldn't your right. own skills but we naturally just saw them exactly and then when you have these parents or people who are supposed to be the guardians like stifling your growth or choosing to redirect you in a place that they don't even want to be at like a child you then see like oh wait this is what teachers are capable of you know like we may be somehow confined to the four doors of our cl- or four walls of our classrooms right but the amount of magic that could happen in the classroom right and i'm not trying to make it into this ethereal thing but what teachers do is really magical it's really hard to be able to nurture a child in such a small amount of time bring them from point a to point b like what you're saying and do it through all teaching things that maybe they don't even want to learn to start with right things like history uh-huh. math art english these children just want to come here and maybe just be free. Be free of the confines of what they have. But then when you show them that there is a world beyond what they know, I think that's where teachers really come in mind. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, who were the teachers specifically in your lives? Let Maybe we could start with elementary if you even have anybody like that. 
Uh, I can remember the first day of elementary school where I had moved to a new school in Gardena, um, Gardena Elementary. Yeah. And the other teacher's definitely, like, most definitely probably retired. But I remember her, she was a black woman, by the way. Right. And I remember my mom walking up to her on the first day of school because, you know, we used to have to line up and then get greeted by them and they walked into the classroom. And my mom was just like, if there are any issues, you don't, you grab him, here's my number, do not hesitate. And I think just right then and there, I, I remember just really always loving to be in her classroom because it almost mm. felt like another mom or mom was there right. like, in presence all the time, right? Like when I got online, which I really did, um, it would be like, Cameron, thank you. And I'm like, got it. Mm. And I just feel like I like the dynamic in which she had with me, but also with her other students. And I'm like, that is so me on how I could move from this person who can be so warm, right. but also be so... But like a wider manner, I can be so warm so quickly, but then I can also be that demand that you need right then and there to get you straight in line. Mm. And then I think this middle school, definitely my counselor. She wasn't a teacher per se, but I have known her. That's right. I still know her to this day. We work together now. Um, she also was another another black woman mm. who naturally my mom just gravitated to and to say, hey, if there are any issues with this, you don't hesitate. And I think just right there again, like you cannot... You couldn't just teach a subject and move away from it. It had to be this interconnected thing where parents were involved, right. you were involved, they were involved, and like it just constantly had to go about raising this child, not only academically but socially. So I feel right then and there, like those were the two like pinnacles of what I what I knew I wanted to do, but also who had inspired me to be like, no, it's more than just teaching you the alphabet and comprehension right. and reading and arithmetic. It was like, no, like there is a this process involved as you do those things. Yeah. Before you move on, I wanted to ask, so you, would you say that your mom was super involved in your education kind of journey? Yes. Not in the sense that she always came to like those, like those project days or like, oh, we're going to have like a, an assembly for parents. And we're like, no, she never came to those because she had to go to work. Right. But like from the very, from the very beginning on those first days, like letting your kid go into the classroom, my mom had always been there to be like, hi, my name is Melissa and Lindo. Right. This is my son. And if you have any issues, you come and tell me. And I think that was really assuring to the teacher. Because I think often, like in this in this realm that we work in now, it's very more like let me handle my yeah. kid. And I I'm not here. I'm not here to parent or babysit anybody's kid. But I think that was so important to her then to be like, look, I understand that like, you are the person mm. for the next eight to nine hours of of the day. It's true. Dealing with him, and I know I have raised him a certain way, and I know that he will definitely represent me in the best way possible. But if there are issues, I want to remind you that you have. Full authority, maybe not legally, but culturally, <laughs> you have full authority to make sure my child's in check, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I would say in that sense, she's always been really involved, but not in the sense of like the PTA, like, oh, I want to go make brownies and stuff like that. No. Right. She was like, first day, parent conference, last day, send a gift and call it a day. Yeah. And I think that's what teachers respected about her, but I think that's also what I think it was now that I do in my home teaching. I'm not here to play kitty kitty with all the parents, but yeah. how about you? Um, I think for me, it's it's interesting that you say that because my parents and, you know, like I said, I'm Asian American, specifically Chinese, um, in the ways that we think about schooling and maybe not just every Chinese person, right? But I can say for my own, in the ways that my parents were brought up, it was more so teachers have the full authority. You don't worry a single thing about what the teacher is doing because you put your full trust in them. At least that's what it was like in Hong Kong when they were going to school. It was when you go to school, 
The teacher can do whatever. Teacher is God. Teacher is God. They sure. say exactly what needs to happen, and you, as the parent, you let the teacher do what they need to do mm-hmm. because teachers are revered, they're respected, and it's very different because it's flipped in the society, right? For sure, yeah. But even though they came here all the way to California, it doesn't necessarily mean that they left those cultural values at bay. Yeah. So they kept those exactly where they were, and they let the teacher kind of have full reign. And for me, I was always very disciplined in that I will be able to just succeed. Academics was a strong suit of mine, but I think I was feeling that sort of disconnect. Maybe what you were saying about how your mom was very involved in the school, I felt kind of weird that it wasn't like that because I grew up around a lot of people where I would always see their families. For sure, I would always see their moms and their dads. I would even see. Where's their your mom? Cam? Like, yeah, she's like, at work. Exactly, and it was always my grandma that would actually come walk and pick me up too. But it was until an elementary school, there was this one teacher, I believe, that was in third grade. Um, I would just call her Miss F. Miss F would make an effort to talk to my grandma all the time. And get you, my grandma doesn't speak a lick of English, okay? She's just full-on Chinese. She doesn't understand what English is. But, you know, just because you don't speak a language doesn't mean you can't find a different way to connect. For sure. So Miss F would sometimes bring her a little donut or give her some fries from McDonald's or something. Just any little gesture that would just say, hey, I care about your grandchild and I care about you. And then my grandma eventually will always recognize her and be like, oh, is Miss F here? And she would say that in Chinese. It's like, oh yeah, she's right here. Do you want to say hi? And then I remember when I moved on into the middle school level, of course, when you move on, you sometimes think about, oh, I want to maybe visit my old school. And this is the funny thing that is like that, right? You want to leave that school setting so much. And then when you leave, you're like, oh, let me go visit those past people. And it's only ever, you only think you only ever do that if the teachers have made an impact on you. Exactly. So when we did visit, every single time I was in like seventh grade, I was just walking down to my elementary school, looking at these kids and being like, oh, I was bigger than you. But then I would talk to Miss F and she would first thing ask like, oh, how's your grandma? And that would remind me like, this lady cared about me. For sure. You know, this lady saw me beyond just a student. And you know, now that I'm on the back doors of seeing what a teacher is like, you're handling what, over 120 kids a day? You're handling them. You get a text message like every other month from one of your old students. Exactly. It's, it's just all that stuff, right? And then you remind like, okay, wait, who is this person? What story do they have? Um, what What's going on in their lives? Are they okay? They seem off. And you're just juggling like a bajillion things. But this teacher made an effort to remember like, hey, I see you and I remember you and I remember your family and you know what? I care about you. Maybe I don't have to show it to you in every little way like I'm giving you a donut or sure. maybe I'm being like, hey, how are you giving me a big hug? But it's those little things that make you remember like there is some beauty in, in what teachers do beyond the classroom. For sure. And that's crazy. I feel like I'm living with you so much at this point because every time I see an old teacher, it's always, mm-hmm. how are you? And then it goes naturally straight like, how's your mom? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so like, you remember right like it's again like it's that that phrase of like it takes a village like it's so interconnected of like you cannot just teach a subject and move on like you have to do more and i I, and i would and i definitely understand and recognize those who just feel the opposite of that that you just teach a subject and move on but i think culturally it's you need to do all of it i think that's where teachers now are inspired to be like no i understand it's just more than just the classroom the material and get on with your day And I also think like maybe that kind of teaching methodology does work in different places, maybe say Hong Kong, right? Because their societies are somewhat set up where you, the teacher's job is just to teach and then they just leave because they have every other part of society 
helping raise that child or they have a strong family unit. Sure. In America, it's very different, right? Yeah. Our histories are different here. A lot of us came here either unwillingly or came here because we had to flee from opportunities that we weren't afforded in different places. So coming here now, teachers have a very unique spot in maybe raising a child that maybe isn't even looking like them for one, understanding what language they speak, but you still hold a very impactful place in their hearts. Right. I think that now makes me think about my middle school teacher I don't know if I necessarily had a middle school teacher that was a very positive experience. In fact, I think most of them were pretty negative. Um, it's a little bit weird, but you already know, like middle school, and I, I'm sure that whoever's listening out there or whoever has ever been to middle school yeah. in America or just in general, those age suck. Yeah, awkward for the teacher, but also for the students. Right, like your bodies are changing. Um, at that point in time, social media was erupting for us, so we had to deal with something totally unprecedented. Um, and just to give you like perspective, me and Cam are both 23, right? So when we were coming up, like Facebook was barely starting. MySpace was just ending. Uh, we were still listening to stuff on LimeWire and HotWire mm -hmm. and YouTube. YouTube was not what it was today. We didn't For have sure. anything just like that. So all of this new social space, and especially as both queer people, seeking social space inside a digital space, at least for me, felt safer than seeking it in a physical space. So you had all of these things that were like juggling in your mind. And then I think it was in the middle school time when there were teachers that were just real assholes to me. I think I remember back in sixth grade, I was in a math class. Um, and I've shared this story with you before, Cam, but I'm really into fashion now and thinking mm -hmm. about clothing. But I remember like, my mom used to dress me up and she used to just choose clothes for me because it was just clothes. It wasn't anything more than that. It was just, I'm going to wear something to keep me warm or keep me cool. And then I'm just going to move on throughout my day. One day she put on these orange sweats on me and, you know, maybe thinking about it now, it was not the best decision. I mean, I looked like a hot mess, but when I did go to school with a rolling backpack, cause you know, it was more functional than it was fashionable. For it was sure. just, I just had to roll it. I had to wear something flexible, but it wasn't until I went into this classroom and I was in like a mixed math classroom, right? I was the only sixth grader where you had seventh and eighth graders and everybody looked just so much bigger at that time. And I came fresh from elementary. So the teacher first thing was like, oh, we all know who the sixth graders are. And then he pointed at me and I had my rolling backpack and everybody just started laughing. I didn't know what was happening. Right. I just thought, oh wow, everybody's laughing at me. And he's like, oh, and don't forget those orange sweats. And it was in that moment, I was like really embarrassed. I was red, I had my head down. It was so awkward. No, for sure. And then I think like, wow, I, I can't believe that kind of happened. And then I think like the next following week or some other day, I was in one of my English classes um, and there was a sub there. And you know, subs are different, but I still see them as a teacher. So sub, I was like scratching my nose. He was like, oh, stop picking your nose. And everybody started laughing. And I was just like, what is happening? Yeah. So it was in, it was in like that middle school level where I was like, wow, like I'm insecure. Mm -hmm. I feel unsafe. School does not feel great for me. And I had to kind of hide a big part of who I was as I was developing. Yeah. And I feel like, so like I, I'm guilty of being that teacher sometimes clown or joke around here and there. But I think that, I think that matters. I think that context matters. Like, right. If you and that matter to have maybe been develop a friendship or some yeah. kind of connection or relationship it would be like hey look i see you landing with them orange and it would be like haha right. we can all laugh it off right and so like again it circles back to that are that understanding that you cannot just teach the subject mm -hmm. and move on because therefore like you lose that connection that relatability and like the dynamic yeah and so everything then becomes maybe taking offense yep. or everything comes like oh i'm not doing my job properly it's like no there are reasons for how you have to do things in the classroom and like and they work yeah. maybe not all the time um, but I definitely, and I definitely not thinking of my space. I'm like, hmm, have I ever called a student out on something they've worn? Cause I've, I've done it and yeah. I, probably, and now I'm thinking like, but I think when I have done it, it's more like I have spent weeks and months now exactly. with the students to be like, 
hey, what's up? Yeah. And, I, and it just naturally comes and they'll throw a jab at me too. Right. You know? Um, and it's not to say that you can't be able to just joke around, right? But like sure. what you were saying, it's that relationship building. It's how we're saying all the time, teaching is an art and a science. Mm-hmm. You're not only thinking about how you're teaching and what you're teaching, but you also have to think about the intricacies of how they're doing, um, how they're feeling, their young age and developing minds, the socialness of the peers watching and hearing everything as well. It's everything, right? Yeah. And so teaching is just beyond that. But now I think now we can talk a little bit about the high school teachers. I think maybe when I think about it, high school teachers are one of the most dynamic ones for me. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, who are those high school teachers that influenced you? And how do they push you to be a teacher or just be a better person for yourself? Mm, I think I had a really good set of a lot of high school teachers like from all different subject areas. I don't know if one necessarily like sparked my love for why I would think much. I think they're all just so... And so then there's a very big difference. Like, I don't think I'm the master of teaching English. Right. However, I think my very OCD personality and how to organize and map things out for not only my learning, but also for others. And I think that's why I got inspired by them because maybe they weren't good teachers necessarily and like, we, we have the best relationships all the time, but they were able to really move me from this is point A, yeah. A point one, A point two, A point three, and naturally like scheme it in a way that like, I got everything I need to know in order to be successful into the next course, right, to the next grade level. And so I think it was any teacher who was able to really just logically map information out yeah. then became my favorite teacher. Then like then inspired me to be like, oh, I'm also just as crazy as you are and having an yeah. agenda that can take me from this to that and it makes sense to anybody I talk to. Um, and I think that is where I felt my, my inspiration to be a teacher where it's, if you're smart enough to really get me from this to that within a matter of weeks or months, right. That's who I want to be. Mm. So you saw yourself somewhat reflected on these teachers that you would describe as crazy, but I would describe as very highly organized, yeah. detail-oriented. They know how to plan from the from the end all the way to the beginning and mm-hmm. going from point A to point B. This is how we do that for today. Like I don't ever make anything without naturally having them in mind, but also like right. I know what makes most sense to get you from point A to B. And everybody would argue that we all have our different ideas of how we get there. I think you and I have had right. healthy conversations about like, I would try this one. I'm like, mm, I would try it this way. And again, based off what we're teaching in our audience, yeah, they will understand like, oh, I honestly understand why he got me from here to there for a reason. Mm. That makes you? sense. I think for me, and this kind of goes into our next topic about what subjects and why. I remember like just after, as I was going through the motion of school and then in high school, I think high school is a time where you start thinking a lot more about where you want to go after the schooling experience because you don't have to go to school after high school. No. You're done with that. You're legally done with that in America. But a lot of the things were being pushed down. Oh, you should go to college. You should go to college. You should go to college. But like for what? Like, I don't know what college is. No one in my family went to college. No one around me that I knew went to college. I'm the first in my family to go. And then I think about, well, I don't really like school per se. I just, I'm good at it. But doesn't mean I necessarily love it. I go through like ninth grade, it was whatever. I go through 10th grade, it was whatever. I think it wasn't until my 11th grade history teacher, which kind of segues into the subjects that I teach, um, my history teacher, he was very well known in the school from alumni all the way to the current students. They would always say, oh, you're going to love Mr. K, um, but he's really hard. Like, you're going you're gonna to have to write a lot. You're going to have to read a lot. You're going to have to think a lot, and you're going to have to speak a lot. You don't get to hide in the class. You don't get to ever go away. Yeah. You can maybe not take him by taking AP U.S. history, but when you take U.S. history, you're ready. Like, you're going to open up your minds. And this came from students who you wouldn't, think right away, oh, they're a scholar. 
just from what you、mm. think, right? They come from alumni who were going to maybe CC, and CC community college isn't a bad thing, but、sure. it wasn't what was fed into me. It wasn't、yeah. that community college was a great thing to my eyes. It was you either go to a four-year university, a UC, or a private that is, or everything else is a failure, and that. I think it's not a reflection of necessarily my teachers, but the society that we set up and how we were being raised as we grew up. But when I went into the classroom, I remember the first thing, the first thing that we ever did was he was talking about the Matrix. It was a little bit weird, and if anybody knows about the Matrix, it's about the red blue red pill and the blue pill. You take the blue pill if you want to continue living a sedated life and not being awoken to whatever is happening around you. You get to live in ignorance. Or you take the red pill, and he had this kind of like hot tamales, and he would like pass them out to everybody. And he says to all of us, "You decide right now. You decide if you want to listen to what I have to say, if you want to listen to your peers and what they have to say, and if you want to wake up, because this world that we're living in, what that world that we all are living in, is a lie. You think you know everything, and you think you understand what race is, what money is, what class is, what any of that is, but you don't. And that's why I'm here today to show you a little bit more of the world and open it up." So you decide right now, and that small gesture was kind of weird. And I think at that moment I was like looking around, like, "Oh, is everybody else buying into this?" But as I saw people were taking their hot tamales, and I was remembering what other people were saying, I was like, "You know what? I'll give it a shot." He was an Asian American teacher, and I rarely had male teachers, and I rarely had Asian American teachers、sure. in history. In history, right? Yeah. So I usually had more white teachers in history. I don't remember. Ever having a non-white history teacher until I got to maybe my tenth grade and eleventh grade year,、mm. and then my eleventh grade year, that history teacher he opened up my eyes a lot about it. And I'll get more into a little bit about why I chose history, but it was that teacher that opened up the world for me and taught me that academics or history can be sort of a sword and a shield, one that paves way for community members like myself and the people that I care about. Yeah, no,、you? and it's crazy because I'm now that I'm thinking about my own stuff, and I think it, I think you start telling your stories first because I feel like then it helps me. Jog my own memory, but eleventh grade teacher for English specifically, actually now, is probably the the push、yeah. that solidified why English would be my subject because I think the ninth and tenth grade year before had strong amazing teachers that I still work with today and I love them. I like I admire them and I I adore them. But we 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 kept English very clean, very safe, where it was like、mm. the Shakespeare, the classic,、right. Fahrenheit four five one, and I、right. love those books and I would I, I and I aspire to teach them one day too. But it wasn't until junior year we we had no novels. We didn't teach. She didn't teach any literature, and instead we had a lot of like short informational texts, and we read stuff about the Caribbean, about Africa, about Latin America, and she was so openly queer,、mm. um, and I loved it. She had a shaved head, she had like a ponytail, she wore like a button-up suit here and there,、uh-huh. but then she also did a kind of very feminine. But she wanted to present herself as that, and so I think for me, I was like, oh my god, I want to be her so freaking. Bad,、mm. um, not only because of how she carried herself, but because she was unapologetically queer. Yeah, and I always think like as a teacher, like when I come into the space, am I gonna be queer,、mm. or am I gonna just be safe queer? And the, and, the, and what I mean、That's、by、real. that is like, am I gonna say, hey, everyone, I have a partner, and then call it a day,、That's、and like don't talk about it at all, right? Or am I gonna say, yeah, my boyfriend and I went to the movies over holiday break, and we went to go see.、So, like, am I gonna be that kind of openly queer about who I am, right? And so、yeah. she was that person. And so I think for me, I wanted to be her. I I wanted to unapologetically to be that when I got to that professional space. Yeah. And the books we read and the way how she argued things and other ways she was able to analyze things and take me from. She was. I don't know why she didn't teach history because she was very history focused. But I think most English classes have to be English or has to be history focused in order to really understand 
the context of what you want to learn or what you're talking about. So knowing that I can read books about Africa, right. about my own, and I think because it was the first book we read was about Haitian Americans. And although I'm not Haitian American, my family is from the Caribbean, and so we have a lot of very similarities in like culture, how we talk, what we eat, and I think I felt like the like the the grand dam, or I felt like the master of knowledge in that classroom mm. compared to everybody else, because there were a lot of other like Latino and Central American and African American students, but I was the only one from like who had like an actual country from the Caribbean. I was like, mm. oh, when they say this, they're actually talking about that, and I felt so like empowered, like in my own English classroom. And so I think for me, when I chose English, it was because I wanted to take backgrounds of everyone. And Lisa tried to write, it's not practical to get backgrounds from everybody, but take background and knowledge of everybody so that everybody feels like they have a place to say, nope, actually this means this, or no, it actually means this. Mm-hmm. And I usually don't get that in a lot of English classes because it's, English, although it's meant for interpretation, sometimes when you teach the classics, it's not meant for right. your additional responses or opinions. It's just to be, read it understand it, comprehend it, and move on. So that's be why I chose chose English. Yeah. You know, when you're bringing up that you were learning a little bit in the junior year about Haitian Revolution and the Haitian history, it's just funny because you were just teaching that this year for the ninth graders, that's right? right? That's it, literally where I got it from. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's like you see what this really powerful, really beautiful lesson has done for you, and you're giving it back. You continue, like, passing on that legacy to now these new generation of children. Mm-hmm. And although they may not know it or let it click right away, I'm sure years after, they're going to be similar like you. It's going to click for them. And when we saw Black Panther, remember how I actually got a, yeah. a, a random email in the middle of the afternoon, over break, by the way, yeah. to say, Mr. Cam, we just saw that they mentioned Haiti in Black Panther movie too. And I'm like, oh, like, haha. And I just responded, like, that's so great. And, like, who the heck would remember that if like, right. it didn't leave an impact, right? Or that you just remember, like, ah, that clicked for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I really do think teaching is a beautiful, beautiful endeavor. I think for me in history, like I was mentioning Mr. K, he was showing me so much of what the world was. But I think it wasn't until he was talking a lot about um, Asian American students and Asian American people. And that was the first time, get that, like 16-year-old, 17-year-old, first time you ever hear about Asian American history ever. Um, and a lot less from an Asian American man. He was teaching us about the Asian American student movement, the people who were fighting in the Third World Liberation Front and ethnic studies. He was also teaching about the Chinese Exclusion Act and all these different things that were happening, like the Japanese concentration camps in America too. And all of these things that I was learning about, it was starting to click with me like, hey, no, like you can be Asian and you can be political. I think when I was younger at that time, it was very much at least the people I was surrounded by, they were more affluent, more affluent Asian Americans. And I was an anomaly in that. I wasn't affluent. A lot of the people around me who were Asian had money. They lived in actual houses. They lived in suburban communities. And they lived in places where they could call it their own home. For me, it wasn't like that. We had really like poor communities. I lived in places that maybe weren't as safe, right? But then to see that Asian people and Asian American people were here in America way back before my family was even here and struggled in the movement for justice and struggled alongside black and brown people. It was so beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. I never even thought that was possible. They're I, always so separate as uh, like different entities. Exactly. And when history was taught before, it was, you're going to learn about colonization. It wasn't even called that at that time. It was probably just called European history. It was called movement. It was called right. Western civilizations, right? Then you were taught these things about the Europeans and you were taught about 
Native Americans, but they were barely, barely on the surface. Right. You might have learned about Black history, but only in the context of slavery, right? Yeah. But it wasn't like that in the history classroom. For he was sure. teaching us about how Black people made movements and strides to free themselves. He talked about how Native Americans, like we did this one simulation and role play about what would each Native American leader tribe say to the colonization. And it was that history simulation that reminded me like, no, there are perspectives that have been unspoken, unsung, and unexplored, and also hidden. And why are they hidden? It was that class that kind of capitalized or fostered my sense of asking why all the time. I think if you notice who I am now, I'm always wanting to know why Mm -hmm. or how or why, 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 why. I always want to dig deeper and always want to understand the root cause of things. Um, So it's always one of those things that I've always wanted to know. And then him as a teacher, he really fostered that. I think similar to how what you were saying that they fostered you wanting to go from this super organized person from going from point A to point B. This teacher also fostered this idea or curiosity that I have about why are things being done this way? Do they have to be done this way? And how did it come to this point? Mm -hmm. I think history, it's showing me about now we're going into like, what is our why in teaching? It's to teach students to continue the question and have a healthy amount of optimism, but also have a healthy amount of cynicism. Thinking of the world is not just the perfect black and white of what you see it, questioning everything in society, and also understanding that our people, specifically non-white people, and also poor white people, were brothers in the struggle, and whatever that means. We're freeing ourselves from these constraints of capitalism. We're freeing ourselves from these mental colonized institutes in our mind, in the spaces that we live in. And then we remind ourselves that, hey, Our enemy is not each other, as what we might think, Mm -hmm. but our enemy is the system. And the system being this entity of the government that wants to take so much from our communities and benefit off of our labor. I could go on with so much about this, Mm -hmm. but it was that history teacher that showed me that history is a weapon um, and history is also a sedation. History can be a way that you empower people, but also hiding people's histories or telling false history is a way of sedating communities and making them point fingers at each other. Yeah, and I for me, I guess my wide feedback of you would be, despite the circumstances we all may have, if organized and you have a good teacher, you can learn anything by following their point A to their point B. That's right. Um, and I think so often as as we serve a lot of black and brown students, when we look at scores, when we look at statistics, when we look at these students are not meant to academically succeed in my subject area, right? History, I'm not sure what the data looks like there, but I know for English, it's always a point of contention of like, these students need more support more addition to the subject matter. They need more time in summer school. They need more support. They need more pairs. I mean, all that kind of, like, those stigmas and those rigors around why they can't do it. And I argue that, well, no, you can, but if you teach the material that is reflected of them, right? Like me talking about the Haitian Revolution, are we having black and brown authors and me getting them from point A to point B? You are doing the same amount of work, the same amount of rigor as anybody else, but through a system that just works. And I think... That's my wife. I'm able to do something really intentional from point A to point B, then my kids can naturally work from point A to point B in anything they do. Yeah. Right. And just copy and paste that. Not my material, but not my, my skills, but that I understand like if I just do this and do this, mm-hmm. I can figure out the next piece. And that maybe it doesn't work in all parts of life. But I know in the academic world it tends to work that way of like if you understand point A, mm-hmm. you can naturally get to point B. 
And I think that's the beauty of just having teachers who have learned from other teachers and now are applying it like you and me, right? We're not the same teacher. We don't teach the same way. I'm sure we don't make our content the same way and we don't even think about the world in the same way. But we align in the values and we see the students as who we are serving. And I, I want to say, like, I wish we had teachers like us. Mm-hmm. I would love to have had an English teacher like you and to see someone as maybe who wants to teach history the way I do. I'd likewise. love to have that. Likewise, friend, likewise. Yeah. Well... I think we've talked a lot about about why you're teaching. I've learned a lot about you in this, and I hope that you've learned a lot about me as well. Um, thank you for having me jog back my lane. Yeah, you already know teaching does that, right? <laughs> so, so we want to thank you all for listening to our first episode. This is not easy for us. We're still learning about how to podcast. I mean, we talk to students every single day for almost a hundred minutes a day and continuous for the all eight hours. But it's not easy when you don't have an audience. So we just want to say thank you again. My name is Marco Landon. Thanks, guys. My name is Cameron Lopez. And thank you for listening to this episode of Teacher Talks. Goodbye. Bye, guys.